Okay. I think we can um, we'd all agree that the internet has really opened up access that we have to information, right? It's not necessarily a good thing, uh, but it's completely opened up our access to information. We can learn about stuff that we would not have had a clue about any other way. And I was, the reason I'm saying this, I was on uh, Twitter the other day and someone had posted a video that everyone was just kind of going crazy about. There's loads of likes and retweets and comments on it. And what this video was, uh, was someone had dug a, a, a hole uh, into the ground. Uh, it was filled with water, so they'd obviously dug deep enough to either get into a, a, a water source or a river or, or something. And what they were doing, they, they got an egg and they broke the egg into the water. And then they got some toothpaste. It was Colgate. I don't know if it has to be Colgate, but they got Colgate toothpaste and they squirted that into the hole and they gave it a mix. And then all of a sudden, these catfish just started coming through into the hole. And people, they were just pulling them out, just pulling them out and pulling them out. And everyone was like, why have we never heard about this before? It's like, how is this happening? Why is it that eggs and Colgate are the thing that catfish seem to, to really be after and really seems to attract them? Uh, and then a little way down, as I was kind of scrolling through the comment, I'm watching this, I'm like, this is incredible. This is amazing what I've just seen. I had no idea. Who would, have, would you ever have guessed if you were going fishing for catfish? Take some eggs, take some Colgate, you'll be, you'll be fine. But, uh, and then I was just scrolling down and someone had posted... Uh, this is fake. And they'd explained actually what had happened, what you hadn't seen. The people who made the video, they actually said themselves that if off screen what was happening was someone was just feeding these catfish through and then they were just pulling them out the other side, but to give it the impression that actually what they were doing was the thing that was, um, was, the thing that was attracting the fish. Uh, and it's in those moments, it's easy to become very sceptical about things that you see and to second guess, is this actually true or not, because when you're presented with something as if it is true, and then it turns out it's not, it's, it, you kind of get a little bit, um, yeah, you can, you can become skeptical about it. It's very easy for truth to be distorted. It's very easy for truth to be disregarded, whether that's intentional or not, to the extent that it can be hard to actually know what is true and what is not. I think as well, we're, we're living in a time and we're living in a culture Perhaps where the, the, the preference or the, the common way of thinking actually is that life is really about people discerning what our own reality is. People don't really like being told this is true, this isn't. Actually, it's for us to discover on our own. I think a, a common a phrase that seems to be coming more common that I'm hearing about is this, is about um, actually we're, we're to, to live our own truths. And what that means is that we discover or we decide what's true for us and we decide for ourselves. Which means that what is true for me might not be true for you, but you don't get to say what is true. That's something that I get to discover or that's something that I get to decide. And that's a seeming, at least from my observations, I think it's fairly uh, common way that I, I've understood people seeing things. Is that actually, we, we don't really want to be told these are things that are true, these are things that aren't. Actually, we're left to discover that for ourselves. Even if that means... Your understanding of truth is very different from my understanding of truth. Now we're starting a new series today that we've called Gospel Truth. Okay, so this is why I've started by talking about truth. Because we're starting this series called Gospel Truth. And this Gospel Truth, this series is going to be based in uh, a letter. And we find in the Bible it's going to be the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, to the Galatian churches. And... In it, what we will see is that Paul addresses the importance of truth 
particularly in terms of the gospel. Okay, so particularly in terms of the gospel, what is true, what is, is what what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't, what we're to hold on to, what we're to let go of. If we understand the truth, how does that impact the way that we live and impact the way that we relate to God and we, the way that we relate to others? And the word gospel, you're going to be hearing it often throughout this series. It's going to keep coming up because it's something that Paul keeps talking about. Pretty much that's what this letter is all about. So we need to understand what the gospel is. And the word gospel, simply the word gospel means good news. Okay, so Paul is writing about the good news and the truth of the good news. And ultimately, it is good news because the gospel tells us uh, that through Jesus, people who are separated from God through their sin, through their rebellion to him, and who are ultimately facing, uh, standing under the judgment of God, one day to stand before him and face judgment, actually through Jesus, all people can be reconciled to God. Where once we were enemies, we can be reconciled to God. And that is what the gospel message is. Um, and, and the reason why we're saying that it's through Jesus is because Jesus, the Son of God, he, he came and he lived among us. He dwelt among people uh, and he lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Where we've all lived in rebellion to, to God and we've done things our own way and actually we've turned and worshipped other things rather than God. Jesus himself lived out of just perfect relationship, perfect obedience with the Father and fellowship with the Father. And as one who lived in perfect obedience to the Father... One who lived in fellowship with the Father. He died on a cross. He was crucified on a cross. And in doing so, he took the punishment that we ourselves deserve. And he bore it on himself. And then he rose again from the dead on the third day. And the scripture tells us that because that happened to Jesus, that that can happen for us also if we put our faith in Jesus. And that's the other thing about the gospel that we need to know. Is that salvation comes through faith. In what Jesus has done for us. Our faith is in the person of Jesus. Not about anything that we've done for ourselves to make us right with God. Actually it's recognising that we've not done anything to make ourselves right with God. Nor can we do anything to make ourselves right with God. But we put our faith in Jesus. And in his work. Not only that. We don't bring anything to this. The Bible calls this a gift of grace. It's something that has been given. Something that we receive. Not something that we have earned and Galatians is all about that gospel and we're going to be spending 11 weeks working through this uh, and, and you might be thinking actually 11 weeks talking about the gospel is that going to get a bit repetitive I don't think so because it's such a wonderful and glorious truth and that as Paul works his way through and as we work our way through there are so many different aspects that he's able to touch on about what the reality of that means for us so if you've got your Bibles if you can turn to the book of Galatians as it's the start of a new series, shall we start in chapter 1? We'll start there, uh, right at the beginning. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn there. If you haven't got your Bible with you, not a problem. It will come up on the screens and you'll be able to follow along there. But please do be following along. Don't just take it for granted that I'm actually reading you the words. I would, but don't. You have, we have to make sure that we're checking these things for ourselves. Okay, It's good to do that. Uh, but before we do that, really, we need to kind of set the context... Not just in terms of what we're going to look at this morning, but to set the context for the whole series. So that we, we come at this with a right understanding of what this letter is about and why it even needed to be written in 
the first place. Now, in the newsletter, the last couple of weeks that we've been sending out, I've sent through a link to a, an overview of Galatians that the Bible Project guys have done. If you haven't looked at it, I'd really encourage you to have a look at it. It's brilliant. All of their videos are excellent. And it's a 10-minute overview of the book of Galatians that will give you kind of the sweeping themes and focuses, which would just be really helpful as we approach this, that in, in our minds, we already have an understanding of, of where Paul's going to go. And, and uh, so what we're doing then is building kind of on the foundations of what we of what we know there. So have a look at that uh, if you can. I would really encourage you to look at that. But this morning, yeah, we just want to kind of set the context. So this was written by Paul. Paul uh, previously saw, and when he was saw, he was a, a Jewish man uh, who had an encounter with Jesus. And he's absolutely changed. He becomes a Christian, starts following Jesus. Uh, so he's a Jewish convert. Uh, but not only that, uh, his, his name changed from Saul, he changes to Paul, and at the same time he's, he's made an apostle. So he's appointed an apostle by Jesus. What that means, the word apostle means what, someone who's sent. Uh, and the role of the apostle really was to, to lay foundations for the churches in terms of planting churches and then seeing them strengthened and established. That really was the role of the apostle, seeing uh, gospel breaking through into new places, seeing churches established. And Paul, was, he, was really, he was a missionary. He was a missionary for Jesus, going around and, and sharing the gospel with people and seeing churches planted and seeing churches established. And one of the places, one of the regions into which Paul went was this region of Galatia, which we would find in modern-day Turkey, I believe in the south of Turkey um, today. And Paul was with the church, Paul was there and he was preaching the gospel and seeing these churches established, particularly to, to groups that we would uh, that. that um, we would understand as being Gentile, so anyone that is not Jewish is Gentile, so he's preaching the gospel to, to Gentiles, and they're coming to faith, and churches are being, uh, are being built, uh, and then he returns to a place called Antioch, and he's been in Antioch for about a year, uh, and it's about a year later when he writes this letter to the Galatian churches after hearing reports. What we will find as we read through this is this is quite an angry letter. Paul's tone is not always a friendly tone throughout this. It's very stern, again, to the point of, of expressing anger. Clearly, something has happened that has, meant, has kind of provoked Paul to write this letter and, and to, write it, uh, in, in, uh, to write it quickly, uh, but to write it with real sincerity and with real force because there are things that are going on that he needs to address. Something's changed. Within the year that he's not been with them, something has shifted and he needs to set things right. And what we will see, we'll come, we'll come to this as we go through the letter, because Paul expands on his reasons for it. But we, again, we, it's helpful for us to understand this before we go. One of the things that's happened that has meant Paul's writing this letter, which has really upset Paul, is that what we'll find is that um, Paul actually confronts Peter, one of the other apostles. There's a time where Paul confronts Peter. Because what has happened is... Uh, Paul, uh, Peter is with the churches and what's happening is you've got these uh, Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians so people that have come out of Jewish and Gentile backgrounds and what, one of the things about the gospel is that it, it unites people together so those distinctions of whether they're male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that's something that will come up with this letter, those distinctions in a sense of, in terms of the gospel have gone we're all one in Christ and so around the meal table it should have been that everyone was mixing regardless of where they've come from they were able to mix. But some of these Jewish Christians have, have come in and, 
And what's happened is they've come in, there's kind of been pressure put on Peter in a way, to the extent that he's now separated himself from the Gentile believers and is now sitting only and eating only with the, with the Jewish believers. And this is a big problem for Paul. I want us to think, we share communion this morning. The thing about communion is that it reminds us that we've been united to Christ first and foremost, but having been united to Christ, we're also united to one another. Which means that actually we're united to anyone that comes to the table to share communion. We're united to one another as well. But what's happening, and what Paul is seeing with what's happening with Peter, is actually where there should be unity and non-division. Actually, when they're coming to their tables, there's separation. That's happening. Again, this is a big problem because this is actually an undoing of what the gospel has produced. So that's one of the things. The second thing is this, so, uh, and I think we come to this in about chapter 5, that's a, little, that's a few weeks down the line, so we just need to understand this. A number of the, these Jewish Christians that we would call Judaizers have actually come to the churches in Galatia, and what they've been doing is they've been going around and saying, actually, that in order for Gentiles to become fully part of God's people, they need to be circumcised as well. Now, for the Jewish people, circumcision was that it was a covenant sign of, having, of belonging to God's people. It's a really important, important thing for them to do. Given to them by God, as part of that covenant promise, he would be their God, they would be his people. But they're coming in and they're now saying, okay, we, we understand that Jesus died for us, we understand that salvation comes through Jesus, but actually, in order to be fully saved, you also need to be circumcised as well. They're adding something to, to the gospel uh, that Paul had been preaching. The problem with this, and what we'll see why Paul gets so offended by this and so upset by this, is because what they're saying is that salvation is not a result of God's grace in Christ, but as a result of other things that we have done. This is a big deal. This is, an, this is a distortion of the gospel. And Paul, is, th- these two things, and we'll, we'll find, again, we'll kind of unpack these as we go and understand these a little bit more. These two things really are, are, are the things that have sparked Paul writing this letter off. He's like, there's something in the year since I've been here, something has shifted that is not right. There's division coming in here. There's a sense of the gospel being seen as not sufficient, not, not totally sufficient. Something else has to be added to it. So we're going to look at that uh, and, and understand that a little, little bit more as we go through. But really what Paul is doing in Galatians, he's re-establishing what the gospel actually is, what it is and what it's not. See, the key question that Paul's asking is this, ultimately, is whether Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to become fully saved. That's what he's going to be really addressing. That's the big question of Galatians. It can be hard for us, particularly not not coming from the time when Paul is writing, not coming from the backgrounds I um, would expect most of us would not really have any understanding of, of of, of um, kind of the history or the traditions or of, of the faiths involved here. It can be hard for us to, uh, to kind of connect with what's being said here, but Tom Wright gives a, a really helpful um, illustration that might just help us to understand why it is that Paul is writing this. I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're in South Africa during the apartheid and that you've decided to build a community centre where both black and white people are equally welcome. Imagine you leave 
and then find out that some other builders have been building on top of your project. They've constructed two meeting rooms with different doors for black and for white people. They claim that the original builder was a bit confused and that they are the people with the real authority on the issue and this is how community centres should be built. Imagine you had heard about this. And this would be a little bit like what Paul felt when he heard about the issues in Galatians. Someone has come in and said, actually, what's come before, that's not quite right. We're a higher authority, we're going to change things. Imagine how you would have felt being Paul. Let's read from the start of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 9. So we're going to start with some greetings, and then Paul is going to jump straight in to his concerns here. Paul writes, he writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It doesn't waste any time in really getting into what this letter is about and what's concerning him and what is on his heart for this church. Now the letter begins really in quite a familiar way, in the way that Paul Paul would write his letters. Starts with a greeting, introduces himself. Kind of, he, he lays out his stall in that sense. This is who I am and this is why I'm writing to you. And he starts by really uh, kind of stating the fact that he is an apostle. Remember we said that at the beginning, he's an apostle. He's one who's been appointed by Jesus. He stresses that actually it's Jesus that has, who has appointed him as an apostle. It's not that men have just decided actually we're going to let Paul do this. This is something that we're going to call Paul to. Actually it's Jesus who has appointed him. Uh, which means, therefore, that the gospel that Paul preaches, it's not one that he's settled on himself, having thought about it, actually, this is how I feel comfortable with teaching or preaching the gospel. Rather, the gospel that he preaches is one that he has received from Christ himself. That's really important. The gospel that he teaches is one that Christ himself has given to him, and not one that he's just, this is kind of where I've come to on the idea. And then he goes into these greetings. Again, it's a, it's a familiar sort of pattern to the way that Paul would write to his letters. And these greetings, are, they're packed with the gospel. Just right from the start, they're absolutely packed with the gospel. And we're going to draw out as we read through verses, uh, we're going to look through verses 3 to 5. And we're just going to draw out really some of the key elements, some of the key truths of what the gospel is. Because even in these early moments, Paul is, is readdressing and relaying the foundations of what the gospel actually is. Uh, and of what gospel truth looks like. And the first thing he says, actually the first word in verse 3 is this, he says grace. He says grace to you. Grace 
to you. The reason he starts there is because the gospel is about grace from start to finish. Where else is he going to start in his address to this letter? It's about grace. And the word grace, we probably need to understand what that means. If I'm saying that it's the start and finish of the gospel, grace means this. A definition that I think is very helpful is this. Is grace is God's happy and undeserved favour given without expectation of return. Grace is God's happy and undeserved favour given without expectation or return. He's saying actually this is about something that God has given to you. This is about you enjoying the, the, the favour of God that he has given to you. Not that he's expecting anything from you in return. This is entirely of him. In a sense, the starting point of the gospel is grace. The starting point of the gospel is grace. And in that sense, it means that grace is the source of our salvation. Does that make sense? That's where salvation has come from, the grace of God. God's unmerited, happy favour poured, uh, poured upon people. That's where salvation comes from. So grace is the starting point. And then he continues, he says this, he says, grace to you and peace. The gospel is about peace. I mentioned at the start when we were talking about what the good news is, the good news is that people who were once far from God, actually the Bible talks about us as having been enemies of God, we can be reconciled to him. We can be brought into his family. We can know peace with God. You see, if grace is the source of salvation, then peace is the nature of salvation. And Paul's addressing these right at the start. The source of salvation and the nature of salvation is this. Grace to you and peace. You can know peace with God. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul addresses this again, maybe in a bit more detail. I just want to read it to you. It might be helpful for us as we reflect on this this morning. Paul writes this in Colossians 1 uh, from verse 19. Speaking about Jesus, he says that for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Can we see those things there? Reconciliation and peace. Jesus making peace through his blood on the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus came in order that we would know peace with God. Jesus came that we would know peace with one another. So Paul's saying this, he's saying, look, grace to you and peace. This peace is available to you. And where does it come from? Or where does it come through? He continues, it comes through Jesus. It's Jesus who has made a way. It's Jesus who has reconciled us and has allowed us to be at peace with God. We've been delivered. Paul Paul continues, he says, we've been delivered up from from the present evil age we've been we have freedom from our sins we've been reconciled to God we know peace with God through Jesus 
But it's not as a response to something that we've done and we've presented to Jesus. It's not like we've come to Jesus and said, look, Jesus, this is what I have. I'm going to give this to you. And as a response to what I'm giving to you, I'm going to receive peace that is available through you. Paul doesn't give any room for that. He says the, re- the way that we can know freedom from sin and the way that we can know peace with God is because Jesus gave himself up. We don't give anything. We don't bring anything. We don't present anything to Jesus. He gave himself. He, he gave himself. Isn't, this is amazing. Jesus gave himself because of grace. He wasn't waiting for people to bring him something and say, well, once they bring me this, then I will respond to them because they deserve it. Far from that, he gave himself for us. I need to get back to Galatians. So the gospel is about grace. The gospel is about peace. The gospel is a gift of grace that has been given to us because Jesus gave himself up for us. We have not given, we have received. We need to understand that. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to the gospel, we have not given, we have received. And then the final thing I want to touch on, uh, in this part at least, is that the, the salvation is initiated by God and not by us. Paul says this. He says that grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus did what he did because that was the will of God the Father. Again, it's not, it's not something that we initiated We haven't come to God and said, look, God, we're in this situation and we need some help. Is there anything that we can do? Is there anything that we can offer you? And if we give this to you, then we can get right with you. Jesus hasn't responded to us crying out and saying, Jesus, we need you to come and help us. We need something's got to change. You know, let's kind of get something going here. Actually, it's all about the will of the Father that he decided that he wants us to be reconciled to him. Again, Paul's emphasising again, he takes us back to grace. He takes us back to grace. And this recognition of grace leads Paul to praise. He says, uh, the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. That recognition of the gospel of grace leads him to that place of praising God. All glory to God. Do you know, if we'd played a part in our salvation, surely we would earn some of the glory, right? We would, be, we would be deserving of some of the glory because we've achieved something in order for us to get it. Who doesn't say that. Who does he ascribe glory to? He ascribes glory to God. God alone. This recognition of grace and peace. The will of God. It's all initiated by him, which means all glory goes to him. See, even in these first few verses... This is, a, this, this is rich with gospel truth. 
at a time and to a people where the truth of the gospel has been compromised and people are coming in and saying, look, okay, we understand about Jesus and, and yeah, actually we, we recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but you've got to add something else onto that. Right from the beginning, Paul is saying, we need to just relay the foundations again of what the gospel really is, of what salvation really is. It's grace and peace. It's the will of God and it's all glory to him. And we're kind of just scratching the surface. And we'll see. Paul goes into much more depth and draws many more things out as we go along. So we've got this greeting packed full of the gospel. And that would, again, that would be common to Paul's letters. If you looked in the other letters that he wrote, a lot of it would be making much of Jesus. It would be making much of the gospel about how we've been redeemed and set free because of him, not because of anything that we've done. So that would be common. But what comes next is not common to the rest of his letters. If you were to look at the start of his other letters, what you would notice, a lot of it is actually about him giving thanks for the church, for the things that they've been doing, for what they've been doing well. There'd be a lot in there would be about praise and how he's praying for the church and giving thanks for the things that they've done. But here, what we see from the get-go really, is not, Paul's not warming up to this. He's not praising them for some of the things they're doing right. He's saying, look, I've got some serious issues with what is going on in these churches and we need to get things set right he is angry. This is something that is of utmost seriousness and utmost importance to Paul. The thought of the gospel being compromised makes Paul angry. And this will come through in his letter. Steph and I don't really watch many TV programs together. We like very different styles of programs. But one of the programs that Steph watches is The Apprentice. Uh, it's not, again, not one that I particularly watch. But a few years ago, they had a challenge where they were having to produce different gins. And at the time, one of the teams produced a gin that was, I think they had like a different colour range of gins. Uh, and then when they presented it to the companies, you know, they have to give a presentation and, and kind of try and sell it. And the feedback was, you don't get different colour gin. Gin is clear. And that's, so they kind of struggled in that. I think they failed the task because of that. Now, if you look at gins, it's like what, probably the most fashionable thing to be drinking. And there is such a range of different flavors and of different colors. And there's this massive variety, but they're all, they're all gins, okay? But what is happening, you're taking the ingredients of the gin and what you're doing is you're putting a different emphasis on different flavors and you're putting an emphasis on different ingredients. So they have like a different, a different flavor to them. There's a different, this one is different from this one because there's a different emphasis or a different focus. The ingredients are in there, but actually, yeah, we focused on something else. So there's a little bit of variety in there, but it's still a gin. It's just a different type of gin, a different flavor of gin. The gospel does not work this way, is what Paul is saying. The gospel does not work this way. Paul says, if you move away from salvation in Jesus by grace, if you say that salvation is Jesus plus anything else, whether you're saying salvation is Jesus plus circumcision, or you're saying salvation is Jesus plus uh, observing the, 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 the old covenant law, observing the Torah as a means of, of fully bringing you through to salvation. If you're saying that, this, that salvation is Jesus plus needing to be fully integrated into the Jewish people in order to be fully saved. If you say that, you've not just got a different emphasis, you've got a different gospel to the extent that what you have is not even the gospel at all. 
You can't say Jesus plus something else is salvation. He's saying it's Jesus plus nothing. It's grace plus nothing. Yes, we're called to obedience. Yes, we are called to, to living in a way that is pleasing to God, but we do it as a response to salvation rather than a means of salvation. And if we try and add anything else to that, if we try and take anything else away from that at all, it's not just this is a completely different gospel to the extent that it is not even the gospel. This is serious stuff that Paul is saying. But let me tell you this it is actually very freeing. To recognise this as the truth. Because we're saying when it comes to our salvation, where else do we look but to Jesus? It's not dependent on anything that I bring to it. It is entirely about him. It is entirely about grace. You see, it's no longer the gospel at all because it's no longer good news. Because it puts the emphasis back on us. It puts the emphasis back on us having to do something or to achieve something. Paul says this. He says that there are some among you who, want, uh, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort could also be translated as reverse. So this distortion that they're bringing in, actually what they're doing is they're reversing the gospel in the sense that it's a reversal because anything that you take away from grace places the emphasis back on what you've done and back on what you offer. As if the work of Jesus is incomplete until you've played your part. And in doing so, you finish what Jesus started. Which is really, is what has been coming through to the church, the Galatian churches. They're saying, yeah, we believe that Jesus has started something, but your salvation will not be complete until you've done this. It's saying that what Jesus accomplished is not sufficient. You need to add something on to that. And in so doing, can you see you've reversed the gospel? Because the gospel would say, get your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus. But when a different gospel comes, it reverses it and says, actually, you need to get your eyes fixed back on yourself because you need to finish what Jesus has started. And your salvation won't be secure until you have done that. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that there, there are many ways to God, or there are many ways to salvation. We can kind of, as long as we, as long as we get there in the end, it doesn't matter kind of how we get there. Actually, what Paul says is that if we turn to a different gospel and one that moves us away from grace, what Paul says is that they've actually deserted God who called them. It's not just that they've deserted a gospel, they've, de- they've deserted God himself. Can you see why Paul, is, his tone and his words are so strong? Because this is such an important thing that people need to realise what they're doing. When they turn to a different gospel, they're not just deserting a gospel, they are turning away from, they're deserting God, who's the one who's called them to salvation through that gospel. We think of deserters as though they switch sides, don't they? If we think of people maybe in a military sense, those who deserted have switched, they've switched allegiance, they've switched sides. This is the language that Paul is using. If you turn to another gospel, essentially you've switched sides and you've deserted God himself. See, to turn from the gospel of grace is to turn from the God of grace. That is not a place where we want to find ourselves. That is not a place where we want to be. Which is why Paul's words about, actually, this is what the gospel truly is. We have to take hold of. And we have to hold firmly to. Again, we can see why Paul isn't pulling any punches here. And he's astonished. 
that they're turning so quickly. He's, not, he's, been with, he's been away from them for about a year. And these things are happening. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. I think one of the things that shows us is that the gospel is not only the way to enter the kingdom. It is also the way to live as part of the kingdom. We never move on from grace. We never graduate from grace. I found Tim Keller really helpful in this. He says that it's possible for us to think of the gospel mainly as for non-Christians. They need to understand the gospel in order to receive Jesus or in order to get saved. And we can kind of look at, it, at the gospel as some sort of ABC. These are, the steps that, these are the steps that you need to take in order to get saved, in order to come into relationship with God. But Keller goes on to say it's not a sort of ABC. Actually, it's the, the A to Z of Christian life. It's the beginning and the gospel is the beginning and the end of Christian life. It's not just about how we enter the kingdom. Actually, it's about how we live as people of the kingdom. So do not turn to a different gospel because there is no other gospel. How do we know what is the true gospel? Okay. So if Paul's saying don't turn from the gospel, how do we know what the true gospel is? When I was thinking about this, I started thinking about plumb lines. Uh, I don't really know how how used plumb lines are nowadays or how common they are but my understanding of a plumb line is that a plumb line gets you that it gets you that vertical line uses gravity and it gets you that vertical line and what it does it it, it ensures that a structure is centered that it is built well that it is built stable that it's it's centered and really what we're looking for here is what what is the sorry what paul is saying Actually, how do we know what the true gospel is? He says, the true gospel is the one that we preached to you. This is the plumb line that we need to go for. If we say, what is the gospel? We need to understand the gospel that, that, they, that Paul preached. And that the apostles preached and that the apostles taught. The, the gospel that the apostles received from Jesus, which is found in this letter. So this is good news if you're wondering, actually, what is the gospel that we're meant to follow? Over the next 11 weeks, we're going to explore it together. And we're going to understand more and say, actually, this is true and this is what we need to hold on to. But it's also the gospel that we see throughout the Bible. This is to be our plumb line. And just in closing, Paul gives this warning. He says, if anyone, including Paul himself, teaches another gospel, Paul says that they're to be handed over to God for destruction. So serious is this because of the consequences of it. Because teaching a false gospel will lead people away from salvation. It has, eternal, it has eternal consequences. So Paul's not messing around. He's saying, actually, if anyone, including Paul saying, look, if I come to you, and if something changes in my thinking or my understanding, and I come to you and I preach to you a different gospel to the one that we've already preached to you, then I'm going to call down a curse on myself. Because we need to hold firm to what the gospel truly is. It's not like, you know, sometimes we can see a sign that would say, proceed with caution. Paul's not, it's not that. Paul's not kind of being gentle and saying, look, proceed with caution. What he's saying is, this is a great big stop sign rather than a proceed with caution. He's saying, you need to stop in what you are doing because otherwise you are going to call down judgment on yourself. Paul doesn't say it once. Paul says it twice. It's not a hurried statement that's just come out of the passion he's feeling as he's writing but it's a calmly formed and an unchangeable and unalterable opinion and understanding that he's come to. This is the gospel that you need to hold firm to. This is the gospel that is true. This is the gospel we're going to be exploring together.
See, the gospel of grace, that salvation is found in no one but Jesus, according to the will of the Father, initiated by him, not as a response to anything that we've done, but given as a gift of grace, is a beautiful, secure, unchanging, unfailing gospel. Don't add or take anything away from it, but live fully in the good of it. I just want to read verses 3 to 5 again, just for us. Paul wrote this to the church in Galatian, the Galatian churches, but we need to hear this as well. In this day in Faversham, we need to hear this, because truth doesn't change over time. If Paul was writing this as true then, it's true now, and we need to hear this. And I want us to, to kind of finish this morning with these words ringing in our ears. This is written, this is for you, church. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.